Pop quiz. If I were to ask you to name for me the most powerful earthquake in the history of our country, what earthquake would you name? I'm going to give you just a minute to think about that, but try to refrain from using Google, Siri, or Alexa to answer. So, do you have it? Can you, for 500 points, name that earthquake? I have to tell you, I did have a little bit of fun with this question this past week. I took it out into my community, and I probably asked 100 different people this question. I got all kinds of answers. Most people, of course, knew that the biggest quake was not in the state that I live in, Nebraska. Hey, don't laugh. While Nebraska has never really experienced a major earthquake, it has experienced actually a few tremors that have made people stop and think. So most people, in answering the question, guessed that the state hosting the largest recorded earthquake in American history was California. Good guess. When you look at the geological map, California lies upon not just one or two fault lines, but actually 140 different fault lines with St. Andreas Fault being its largest. Remember that movie featuring the rock? It was spectacular. The historical fact, however, is that California has had only one earthquake of a magnitude that gets it into America's top 10 list. In fact, do you remember when it was? It was Fort Tejan, California, 1857. The earthquake measured a 7.9 on the Richter scale. And I'm going to note that there was, in San Francisco, 1906, a severe earthquake, but not severe enough to make the top 10. So when and where was number one? Some of you know. The answer is Alaska, which, by the way, lists eight of the top 10 earthquakes. The date, 1964. When in the Prince William Sound area, an earthquake reached a measurement of 9.2 on the Richter scale, making it the second largest recorded earthquake in the history, not only of America, but in the globe, in the, in the world. The earthquake produced more energy than Hiroshima times 15. It set off a series of tsunamis reaching as far away as California and killing over 139 people. Oh, and one more fact about this earthquake. Does anyone recall what day? The earthquake occurred upon. I find this interesting. The day was Good Friday. Do you know why I find it interesting? The Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 uh, gives us a picture. Now, typically when we think about Good Friday, our focus, as it should be, is on Jesus, on the cross. Our focus is on the last words of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that at the death of Jesus on Good Friday, corresponding with that moment that Jesus cries out, Tetelestai! It is finished. Guess what? An earthquake took place. Do you remember this? You'll find it recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 51 and following. Matthew tells us that at the moment Jesus cried out, well, I'll just read his words. Matthew says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I don't want to make too much of this, but I find it intriguing, knowing how God often speaks to us in very subtle ways, that the most significant earthquake in our nation's history occurred on a day that corresponds exactly with the 
Quake of Good Friday, I find myself asking the question, how is God speaking to us through this? I don't know, but I do know this, that one of the most significant ways that God speaks to all of us is through the language of shaking. Tell me if you agree with this. It often takes our lives being shaken before we actually begin to listen to what God is trying to tell us. I'll let that soak in. Do you, do you agree with that thought? As a pastor, I've seen this time and again. A person is living life the way they want to live it. They're paying no attention to God's voice whatsoever. And then, boom, earthquake. Something not so good happens. Something that wrenches the illusion of control out of a person's hands. And all of a sudden, God has our attention. Or maybe it's a culture that has not only abandoned God's ways, but has thrown hubris, their pride, into God's face. Until, boom, that culture experiences shaking. Like Babylon being ejected from its place of power overnight, those who have mocked God to their pride begin to cry out. They are perhaps more willing to listen. Which is what I believe makes the section of Daniel that we'll look at today so relevant. Today on our podcast, I want to turn with you to the opening of Daniel chapter 12. We're nearing the end of Daniel's narrative and the end of Daniel's life on earth. And as we do, we find Daniel still before God in an ecstatic state, being shown the very last segment of earth's history. Last week, we looked at the topic of Armageddon, the last battle on earth. Today, I want to explore with you the tribulum, that is the shaking of our world that will lead up to that battle and ultimately to the resurrection itself. So, as we turn to this section, there's a book that comes to my mind. I want to I want to ask you, are you familiar with the name Katie Mack? Katie J. Mack is, in my opinion, an extraordinary figure in the world of astrophysics. She holds the prestigious Hawking Chair in Cosmology at Perimeter Institute. Well, towards the middle of 2020, she released a book titled The End of Everything. That doesn't have the cheeriest of titles, but it is an interesting, interesting read. Applying the science of astrophysics, Katie, in this book, looks at potential scenarios that might lead to the end, not only of life on Earth, but of the universe itself. She delves into the life of the sun playing out the science associated with its age and remaining life. She delves into the science of dark matter and what that might mean for Earth and the universe. She explores theories associated with the science of asteroids and their potential to end life on this planet. So I'll, I'll tell you, as you read books like this, if you're, if you're like me, you take it all in. The science, the theoretical matrices, the potential scenarios. But there's one place as a theologian that I, I don't agree. I vary with writings like Kate's significantly. While well, science seeks natural explanations for the means by which time and matter as we know it might cease, I understand the supernatural behind such. Now, do I believe that God could use natural means to end the world? Certainly he could. God, God could utilize an asteroid, viruses, dark matter, AI, etc. to bring about what Katie calls the end of all things. But I also believe this. He's not bound by such. And even if he should use natural means, he will do so supernaturally, meaning the natural will give obedience to his will and command. 
And it's this that I love about the scriptures. Since the time I was a little boy, I've loved what it means to listen to all that God has to say about how it all ends, how it all ends, and then how it all begins again. After all, our story is a resurrection story. And it's here that Daniel takes us as chapter 12 of his narrative begins. Here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to read the opening words of chapter 12. Let's get these words in front of us. When I'm done, I want to stop and contextualize these words. Let's answer the question, where in the timeline of history do these words take us? Then, I want to relate these words to the question not only of how it all ends, time in the world, but to that of how God uses specifically shaking, tribulum in the Latin, to prepare us for the end. So let's start with Daniel's words, beginning chapter 12. Lord, would you guide us and lead us to these words? Give us your insights. Amen. Let's begin. Chapter 12, beginning verse 1. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Okay, let's just start where this section does with the very first words, the first three words, in fact. Jesus says to Daniel, at that time. So here's my question, at what time? What time is Jesus referring to? Here's what we know. Based upon the way chapter 11 of Daniel ends, Jesus is taking Daniel to the end of time. Armageddon is coming. The last battle on planet Earth. We look, again, we looked at this in last week's podcast. Now, as chapter 12 begins, what Jesus points to is that period of time that will immediately precede Armageddon and the resurrection. In other words, Jesus is answering a timeline question. Where, where are we today? And what will precede the final battle, this battle that we call Armageddon? By the way, I always think of Jesus' words to John in the Revelation. In the Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus actually spells out for John the whole of Earth's timeline, from creation to the very end of time. Remember the words. Again, I'm just going to read them. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus is talking about the church during its time of exile on fallen planet Earth. Using a word picture of a woman for the church and the wilderness for the earth in its fallen state, Jesus says this, but the woman, again the church, was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, into this period of time we're in today, to the place where she is to be nourished, God's taking care of us, for a time and a times, and a half a time. Now, it's those last words that I really want you to focus on as they describe a timeline for the whole of history. In other words, the whole of history can be divided up into three specific epochs. A time. That's the Old Testament epoch already passed. A times. This is the New Testament epoch, which itself, I believe, is divided into two parts. The apostolic era already passed. And the New Testament era, what we're living in today, the present. This is the time frame that we are in. And then, notice the last words Jesus gives, a half a time. This is yet to come. 
This is the last period of history, and it is cut short. It's a half a time. It's not a whole period of time. And Jesus tells us, tells us why. He says it's for the sake of those people uh, who believe in me. It's, it's that last period of time that Jesus is pointing to as he speaks the words we read at the beginning of Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read it again. At that time, in other words, as the half a time begins, Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people will arise. And I love that word picture. As the halftime begins, the level of spiritual warfare on earth will increase exponentially. That said, those followers of Jesus Christ who remain on earth in this last period of time will need and will receive help. In chapter 11, we've already seen behind the curtain that separates our physical world from the spiritual domain. God's Sabbath army of angels fight for us. I've always maintained that if even for se seven seconds we are able to see physically the spiritual war taking place around us right now for our souls, we would fall down on our knees and beg God to spare us. You and I are incapable of looking at demons, that is fallen angels, and not recognizing we can't defeat them. Their defeat lay exclusively in the hands of our warrior, Jesus Christ, who has empowered his angels to fight for us. He fights for us. Thus, as the half a time begins, it's comforting to know that the great archangel, Michael, who's already done warfare with the dragon, see Revelation chapter 12, he's fighting for us. In fact, the picture that Jesus delivers to Daniel here is the equivalent of you and I having a 12-foot-10 bodyguard following us around in a battle against an enemy that stands two feet tall. Michael and the entire Sabbath army look at our adversary and speak one word. If you want to get to them, you're going to have to come through me. You know what? That's comforting, and it's meant to be. And yet, as comforting as it is, it does not take away the fact that the half a time will be a time of seismic spiritual shaking. I'm talking a 10.0 on the spiritual Richter scale. Listen uh, to the words again. Jesus says to Daniel, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a people until that time. The word, the word trouble here in the Hebrew language is serah. It means distress or shaking. In the Latin, the word is tribulum. You can almost hear tribulum, the shaking. The half a time will be a time of shaking, of God shaking the earth, his people, those who are outside of the faith, and he's doing it for a purpose, to create a condition in which two things happen. As God shakes, number one, those who belong to him, you and I, are moved from a position of complacency into action. Number two, those who are outside of faith are provided an opportunity to listen, to hear God. Sometimes things just need a good shaking, and it's coming. I've been thinking about this uh, a lot as of late. Uh, how over the last three years, beginning with COVID, our world has just changed. I think we see that. There's a lot of shaking going on. This may or may not seem relevant to you, but one small example has occurred recently within the realm of the retail world. If you allow, I want to mention two entities by name. One, Budweiser. Two, Target. Can I ask you a question? When, when you hear the names of these two entities, what comes to your mind? 
Three years ago, it's likely that the first thoughts that might run through your mind when you when you hear the names of these two retail entities, Budweiser and Target, would be those of Clydesdale horses and a cute dog with a target on his smiling face. Friendly images created by marketers seeking to associate their respective entities with the feelings of comfort, of happiness, of joy. And, and let's face it, it works. Horses and cute dogs evoke happy feelings, which is what each retailer wants you to feel when you think of their product. Target, cute, warm, cuddly, dog, Budweiser, majestic, powerful, faithful horses. Within just the last several months, however, chances are high that the names Budweiser and Target evoke a different feeling, even a tribulum or shaking within. Here, here's why I say that. In both cases, these retailers chose to directly tie their brands and their marketing strategy to the support of the LGBTQT plus movement and to do so in extremists. On the part of Budweiser, the company chose to feature transgendered Dylan Mulvaney, a social media influencer with a following of 10.8 million, in an advisor advertisement for their Bud Light beer, going so far as to put an image of his, her likeness on their beer cans. Target, on the other hand, very intentionally lifted up gay, queer, and transgender clothing and merchandise in their stores, in particular, targeting children as customers. This moves so horrified parents that the attorney generals representing no less than seven states sent letters to the target corporation indicating that they may have violated child protection laws in the marketing of what they deemed inappropriate and sexually oriented products to underage children. Now, what has happened is nothing less than the shaking of two groups of people. First, people who have been generally complacent about the overreach of the LGBTQT plus agenda have been shaken to the point of waking up almost immediately, almost immediately after consumers recognized that their beloved beer company was moving into the territory of political correctness, political wokeness. They cried out, that's enough. Please get your wokeness off our beer cans or said differently. Can't a person in this country enjoy even a beer without having someone jam a social agenda down their throat. As a result, Budweiser sales plummeted as much as 25%. The stock was downgraded. Marketing executives were placed on suspension. Let me say this simply. Consumers were shaken into action. But there's more. Not only were customers shaken from their seat of complacency into action, but the company Budweiser, who, like most companies up to this point, felt they could do whatever they wanted, in the realm of social policy, they also woke up. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. They went from woke to awake. Specifically, the beer cans disappeared. You know what reappeared? The horses, the Clydesdales. Almost immediately after the public said goodbye to Bud, the horses were back on TV. Again, I'll say it simply. Budweiser was shaken. So was Target. Can you say nine? As in nine billion dollars? That's what Target lost in their efforts to shove LGBTQT plus agenda in people's, and especially little children's noses. $9 billion represents over a 12% loss in the stock value of that company. That'll shake you, and it did. Target began immediately to pull back its LGBTQT plus merchandise. I'm telling you, when money is at stake, leaders listen. At least they should. 
Now, the example I'm giving you here, I realize is secular, social, and it's about money. So let me do this. Let me ask the question. What does that look like in the spiritual realm? Because that's, that's where we are today. In the retail or market world, loss of money will get your attention. It'll shake you. But what about the spiritual realm? I think it takes a bit more. Uh, yeah, a bit more than even money. If, if the hope is to move the faithful out of a condition of complacency and to move those outside of faith towards a place where they are so shaken they're willing to listen, there's no alternative but to create a condition in which, please hear this, everything that man places their hope and confidence in is shaken to its core. And you know what? It's coming. That is the half a time. What Jesus is pointing us to with these words to Daniel is a moment in history where all that we stand upon, all that we placed our trust in, all that we count on will be shaken. Listen one more time. Jesus says to Daniel, and there shall be a time of trouble, Shara, such as never has been since there was a people till that time. Here's what I've come to believe. I've come to believe that perhaps soon a period of history will begin in which everything that we cling to in this world is shaken to its very core. It will, as Jesus says, be unlike any period of history prior. It will be a period of history globally in which every part of a person's experience is being shaken. People's financial security will be shaken. People's homes and holdings will be shaken. Relationships will be shaken. The global market will be shaken. Individually, people's workplace and vocation will be shaken. The earth, already teetering with disasters, will be shaken. Natural resources will be shaken. And I believe it will happen in an instant. It'll cause two things. Complacency will be challenged. The question of who you are and whose you are will become unavoidable. Those outside of the faith will also be shaken. As calamity takes place, where one stands spiritually will become significant. What Jesus is telling Daniel as chapter 12 begins is simply this. It will come a period of shaking that will make what Babylon did to Israel look like child play. So where do we go with this? I want to pick back up with this section of Daniel next week. But before we go, two questions. In what ways today are you seeing and experiencing God's shaking of our world right now? You can see it. Can you name a couple of ways? Where do you see shaking? Question two, are there places in my life that actually need shaking? Places I've become complacent, maybe even numb to what's going on around me. Are there places, question number two, where I'm stuck in patterns of living that are not moving me towards God, but actually away from him? Do I need to be shaken? We should think about those questions. That's it for this week. Uh, I'm going to tell you that again, I just love to lift you and your family up in prayer. I do it daily. And, uh, and I'm just going to ask again that you would continue to pray for myself and my family. It's been good to be together with you um, to talk a little bit about the time that is to come. We'll pick up with it next week. Until then, have a God-sized week.